And good morning. My name is Ben Biles. I'm the college pastor over at Southwood. So this is a fun morning for, for me to be with you guys this morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're going to continue in our Proverbs series. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip to Proverbs chapter 14. And if you don't have one, don't worry. We'll have verses up on the screen for you. And as you flip, I'm going to tell you a story about one of the worst natural disasters that the world has ever known. In June of 1783, way before anyone in this room was alive, there was a, a volcanic system in southern Iceland that began to erupt. And uh, as volcanoes do, right, it happens over the course of uh, who knows how long, actually. But pressure builds up under the earth until it can't stay there anymore, and then it just explodes out. And this particular volcano was known as Laki. It was actually uh, less of a mountain and more of just this giant 15-mile-wide fissure that started to erupt lava over the course of several months. In fact, 42 billion tons of lava gushed out of Laki into the South Iceland countryside, uh, obviously destroying everything that it came in contact with, uh, which was unfortunate for the people of Iceland. But making it even worse than that, there was uh, 120 million tons of sulfuric dioxide that through the eruption was, was being released into the atmosphere. And so as as this rises into the atmosphere, it's mixing with the rain clouds, with everything up there, uh, and it's forming this toxic, poisonous cloud so that when it begins to rain, all of the food is suddenly destroyed or contaminated. In fact, over the course of those eight months, uh, a quarter to a half of all of the livestock in Iceland perished. A lot of the food uh, was destroyed. And so it ushered in one of the worst famines that the country had ever seen. But the reason why it was so bad is that it didn't just stay in Iceland. In fact, this poison cloud started to move southeast into the continent of Europe. And the same thing started happening. As it began to rain, it would poison the ground, it would poison the animals, it would poison even the people that were living there. And uh, once again, huge famine across all of Europe. In fact, it was one of the leading causes for the French Revolution. As people ran out of food, descended into poverty, they started to rebel against the people that were holding on to all the food, saying, let me get some of that food. Uh, and it didn't stop there even. It went even farther away and began to travel into North Africa and India, causing severe droughts. Once again, more famine. It went so far as Japan, uh, extending the famine that was already going on. And in fact, it traveled across the Pacific Ocean into the United States where Benjamin Franklin, who was alive at the time, uh, was journaling about it, saying it caused one of the, the worst summers and winters that they had ever seen as this poison fog cloud rolled across the country. And so what we see is that from one volcano system, one, in Iceland, right? Most of you don't even know where Iceland is, but in Iceland, it as it erupted, affected the entire world, right? As it traveled across this poison cloud of the lava destroyed countryside, it caused devastation for a lot of this globe. And why do I tell you this? Well, for one reason. You and I are, are similar to volcanoes in the sense, in the sense 
that we are all deep wells of powerful emotion. And on one side, that is a really incredible, great thing as the love that we feel for other people can lead us to do incredible things for the gospel and for our communities. But on the other side, within each of us is this powerful emotion of anger that over time can build up and build up and build up pressure within us to the point where it explodes and causes relational damage to those around us. Not just those in our immediate vicinity, but creates this toxic atmosphere around us in which it can damage, uh, once again, the communities that we're a part of as we lose control of our ability to control that anger, that powerful emotion within us. And so, like volcanoes, we can cause much damage through the eruption of that anger if we do not learn how to control that anger. And as we engage with the book of Proverbs this morning, once again, this is a book that is teaching us how to live with wisdom in God's created world. That the God who's created all things and has structured all things to work a certain way, a beautiful, uh, natural way that he has uh, constructed all of this to work. He has created that and then has given us his word in order to live skillfully in this world that he has created. And so when we come to the book of Proverbs, what we're looking for is wisdom that can guide and help us live skillfully and righteously in our world. And one of the main ways that we stumble and mess up is our loss of control of anger. And so this morning, we're going to talk about anger and how it can destroy the relationships, whether that is in one conversation or over a period of years. If we do not learn how to control this anger, it can cause real damage. Now, for, for most of us, we understand anger because we've felt it uh, a lot in our, our lives. But generally, anger is this powerful emotional response to someone or something that we have perceived has done us wrong. And sometimes that's a, that's a certain person, right? Like that one guy at work who just knows how to push our buttons. And we can't stand being in his presence because we know if we're in his presence, oh, I just, oh, it just feels wrong, right? He, he always says the right thing to just get under his skin and we hate it. Or maybe it's a, a family member, right? Someone you, you live with. Um, don't look to your side right now, but uh, there's, you know, people that, that it's maybe not just like one instance, but over a course of many years, it just, they know how to say that thing, and it's just, oh, so grating for our heart. Or maybe it's even ourselves, right? A lot of people are going through life, and they're mad at themselves, right, for not improving uh, or, or getting over those struggles that they have struggled with for so long, that we can get frustrated and angry with ourselves. Uh, sometimes it's certain situations, right? Uh, a lot of people, some of the nicest people I know, are absolute monsters when they get behind the wheel of a car. Like, I don't know what it is about cars, but it like does something to our minds where we just feel so like justified in our anger. And, and this is my lane, and how dare you swerve into my lane? This is my lane. And it just gets under our skin and it frustrates us, right? 
can be very frustrating uh, driving. But what we know is this is this powerful and deep emotion. And no one has to teach you anger. Like you didn't learn it. You didn't go to a class that instructed you how to be angry. In fact, you came out of the womb. You were mad. Like you just came out. That was the only thing you knew. Mad. You're like, Mom, why did you bring me into this bright, cold world? I was fine where I was. And you're just mad and you're crying. Uh, and anyone that has uh, a toddler understands um, how it, when you're younger, right, it can, you, you have very little control over that deep, powerful emotion that seeks to erupt from you. In fact, uh, in my life, uh, I am about to have a baby boy. First one, uh, my wife Savannah and I, we are two weeks out. I'm ready. She is super, super ready um, to get this baby boy out. And, and what I noticed is that as uh, I am online, on the internet in general, I don't know if this happens to you, but eventually like Amazon and Instagram, they start to pick up on some of the habits that you are, are you're looking up advice and guidance and certain products, and they're like, this guy's about to have a baby, and then suddenly everything that is directed your way is like having to do with toddlers and raising children. Anyways, the reason I tell you this is that uh, on, on Twitter, now I'm just getting all of these tweets about how to raise a child, and all of them have to do with hilarious, funny stories about how their kids get angry, and they're trying to help them solve and, and work through that anger. So here's a few. One says, hell hath no fury like a four-year-old whose sandwich has been cut into squares when he wanted triangles. Ah, so frustrating. Can you imagine the wrong shaped sandwich? Ah, it just makes me mad still. Uh, another one said, my son got mad at me yesterday and opened all the bananas in the house. What type of passive-aggressive monster? Dot, dot, dot. And I found this one to be extremely clever because he knows exactly where to hit him where it hurts in the produce section of their house. Because none of these bananas are going to survive long. And my favorite one is this. <laughs> it says to mom, let me outside or I will break this family. <laughs> From Evan, broken heart. <laughs> Amazing. And I love it because, once again, it shows us, right, when we get mad, we react with violence. We erupt. We want to cause damage to those around us. We want other people to know we're mad, and we want other people to understand that anger through these actions. But for a lot of us, anger is not so simple, right? In fact, it's, it can be very complicated because it has different faces to it. It has uh, children, if you will. It has uh, many different things related to it, such as being frustrated, being very annoyed, being resentful, being jealous, being bitter, being hostile, being furious, all of these different elements of anger. So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, you know, I don't get mad, like I don't explode, like that's not me. But maybe after a while things start to get to you one at a time and you start to develop this bitterness towards the person that that uh, those words or whatever is coming from, right? Maybe you don't explode, but over time that starts to develop and turn into something way, way, way worse than a, an explosion. And so we recognize in anger, man, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Because anger can lead to impulsive action. It can lead you to say things and do things that you regret for many years to come. And so our hope is that as we talk about anger, that we do not allow it control over our minds and hearts, and in fact, learn to be slow to anger in order to build 
quality relationships with those around us. And so uh, we're going to talk about a few things this morning, but uh, what we see throughout Proverbs is these two speeds of anger, right? It's going to direct us towards these two speeds. Speed number one, those that are quick to anger. They're fast to anger. They don't have control over those emotions. And Proverbs is going to say that's the foolish person. That's the foolish way to live your life. And it's going to contrast it with those that are slow to anger, those that have control, those that, like God himself, are able to calm down, pause, take a minute, and forgive and act with grace towards those around them. Then we're going to talk about God's anger uh, going back to what we read earlier in Psalm 103, how God is described as being slow to anger consistently throughout Scripture. And then finally we're going to end with how do we control this? Like how do we actually react when we are angry? Because that's going to happen. So what steps can we actually introduce into our lives to help us control this anger? And to not confuse anybody, I'm going to tell you the main point right at the beginning. Do not let your anger overshadow your love for people. Uh, that's, a, that's a theme that we see throughout Proverbs, throughout Scripture, is that we are called to love God and love other people. And one of the main hurdles that we can face in that direction is our inability to control the anger and bitterness and frustration that we feel towards other people. So we, uh, this becomes very important for us as we learn to control this, that it does not overshadow our love for other people. So we are finally going to read the book of Proverbs. So in chapter 14, what we see in verse 17 is this. A person who has a quick temper does foolish things. And a person with crafty schemes is hated. Jump a few verses down. Verse 29 says, the one who is slow to anger has great understanding. But the one who has a quick temper exalts folly. And then in chapter 16, it says this, Better to be slow to anger than to be a mighty warrior. And one who controls his temper is better than one who captures a city. And so as we take these three Proverbs together, we see something consistent throughout, is that those that are slow to anger, those that have the ability to control it, it says they have great understanding. And that's less about having a lot of intellectual knowledge and knowing a lot of facts and things about the Bible or, or whatever. It's more about having the ability to live skillfully. All right? That is the great understanding. That is what we need in order to live successfully and according to God's will on this world. So a large part of living successfully is that ability to control anger. And everybody wants to be like that. In fact, in verse six, or in chapter 16, verse 32, right, we have in view this, this person that is mighty in battle, someone that knows how to capture a city. And Solomon or whoever's writing this is saying, you know what's better than that, right? One of the most admired and celebrated attributes and characteristics and, and, and feats that could be accomplished in the military society. You know what's better than being able to be strong in battle and have military genius? Being slow to anger. Right? And, and for us, maybe we don't re really relate to that because, I don't know, there, probably not everyone here is, is in the military. And so uh, for us, maybe it's, it's a little different, right? We value uh, intelligence. We value success. We value wealth. We value security and comfort, even attractiveness. We value a lot of other things. And in the same way, Solomon essentially is saying, you know, uh, those, those celebrated things, you know what's better than those? 
being slow to anger. Why? Because if you're slow to anger, that enables you to build quality relationships with those around you. Right? That is what we're really after. That ability to control your anger enables you to build quality relationships and maintain them with those around you. So once again, this main point is do not let your anger overshadow your love for people. On the other hand, Proverbs points us to this person that is quick to anger. And it says this person exalts folly. A word exalt really is pointing us to the fact that they are lifting up on display for everyone to see their foolishness. And the reason why is they are consistently demonstrating their lack of maturity and controlling their emotions. And it's continually leading them into tense and difficult situations. In which a lot of people are experiencing this toxic, poisonous cloud that they're, that's erupting from their minds and their hearts and their, their mouth, right? They can't uh, stand to be around these people because they're so negative and they're always being uh, controlled by these impulsive words from their anger. No one wants to be friends with that guy. No one wants to be with that guy. No one wants to be like that guy. So if you are a foolish person, then you will allow yourself to be dominated by your lack of control when it comes to anger. And no one wants to be around that volcano of a person when they arrive. Uh, I was watching a, a video the other day uh, of, a, of a college baseball coach, and their team had just lost this game and I guess, a really humiliating way. It was actually the Texas Longhorns, so whoop. Um, yeah, come on. Uh, so we're excited to see it. Uh, he wasn't, though, no. uh, and he, the video is taken as he's coming into the locker room to really dress down his team, and you can just see it. He is cherry red in the face, and he comes in, and, and he, he slams the door, and he just starts yelling at these college-aged kids, and he, he essentially he's like, you know, you guys, you're going to forget all this in like 15 minutes. You're going to walk out of this room. You're not even going to care about this anymore. But that was the most humiliating game of my life. And then he goes off on this, this team, uh, on all the mistakes, the errors, their, their lack of passion. And maybe some of it's justified. But after a while, he says, you know, the worst part about this is I have to live with this embarrassing game for the rest of my life. This is not about a game, he says. This is about my life. And then he starts going off on this one guy who made this one mistake one time that led to one out in the game. And he starts just going after this guy. And he's like, you, you made that mistake. And next time you better do what I say. Whenever I say it, you got to do it. And it just goes after. He points him out. And I'm just thinking this whole time, how embarrassing, right? How humiliating is it to be addressed by this angry guy in this locker room surrounded by your teammates? And uh, actually, I don't know if this is fully correct, but I did a little bit of research, and I realized, you know, that, that player that had been directed all that anger at uh, ended up not playing baseball professionally. Uh, he ended up becoming an accountant, which um, is good, too, right? There's accountants that are good. And, uh, he, but I have, ima- I have to imagine that that day, that, 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 uh, that speech, that angry tirade, was at least one of, if not the leading contributors to the crushing of that dream to play professional baseball, right? As, as this coach came in with this toxic anger cloud and directed it and poured it all on him, right? He, I'm sure he was absolutely crushed. And so 
what do we learn from this, right? We learn that when we lose control of our anger, it's going to affect lives and can affect lives for a very, very long time. Your anger can change someone's life in a moment. That's a powerful place. And if you don't realize that, then that makes you a dangerous person. It can make you a dangerous person. Thankfully, that we have the wisdom that God gives us and the grace that he gives us to live by. In Proverbs 15, we see this in verse 18. A quick-tempered person stirs up dissension, but one who is slow to anger calms a quarrel. And what we see here is this: these two speeds of anger really coming out into real situations. He's saying, hey, those that are quick to anger, their inability to control their emotions, this is going to consistently lead them to stir up dissension. It's going to create fights. It's going to make fights worse. It's going to make tense situations even more tense. And really what is happening is that they are developing this atmosphere of hostility. Right, where everyone who comes in contact with them is kind of walking on eggshells, careful not to poke the bear, because if they do, that person's going to erupt, and all their negativity and emotional anger is going to be poured out on me. And what we see is, is, is the main motivation for anger that, w- that we see throughout our world is that when we are angry and we yell and we want to get our way, we usually do. Right, so what we see is there's actually a pro and a con. Pro is that you get what you want. Right, you get what you want in the short term. Maybe that's good. But what we see is that the con is so bad. Because over the long term, what you're doing is creating an atmosphere in which people cannot trust you, cannot be honest with you, and cannot be vulnerable with you because they're so afraid of being hurt by you. And so if you're quick to anger, you maybe, yeah, you gain what you want in the long in the short term, but in the long term, what happens is you make this relational sacrifice of these uh, this 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 uh, vulnerability, this trust, all of that that you could have if you could learn to control your anger. And I think we probably all know people who through their life they never learned how to control it. And they grew up and they only became more and more embittered into old age and ended up distancing themselves from their friends and family and ended up being very isolated and very lonely in their later years. And it's a sad reality, but we see it happening all the time. Now, what Proverbs says is someone that is slow to anger, they're able to calm a quarrel. And really what they're doing is introducing this atmosphere of grace, right, where they're able to, to approach people that have done wrong to them cause them harm, and they're able to show compassion and forgiveness. And then we, so in this, in this instance, we actually are going to flip those pros and cons. Here, the con is, yeah, maybe you don't get what you want in the moment. Maybe, maybe in the short term, yeah, you're making a sacrifice for that person, that relationship. But in the long term, because you're building this atmosphere of grace, you are building a, a, a place, an environment in which people can trust you and be vulnerable with you and be honest with you. As they come with their problems, right, and their conflicts, they're able to come and trust you with those things. So maybe, yeah, you give up what you uh, want in the moment, but what you gain is quality relationships that can last for a very long time. I know for me, uh, I grew up with uh, my dad's mom was called, was named Grandma Betty. And Grandma Betty was known for, for several things. 
Uh, the first one was when everyone went to her house, she would make every single person like a pound of bacon for breakfast. Like it was, and that was like not enough for her. I don't even know where she stored all this, but you would finish like way more bacon than you've ever eaten in your life. And she's like, you want some more? And I was like, no, grandma, please like get out of the kitchen. You got to get out of the kitchen. Uh, we have had way too much bacon and donuts here in this, in this house. Uh, the other thing was she would always take us to church on Sunday morning and she would make sure that we were the absolute last people to leave that church building as we met every single stranger in the room and told them about our lives, right? That, that's what Grandma Betty did. But the third thing, and the one that I remember the most, is that I never, not even one time, saw Grandma Betty be angry, right? She, she never lost control of her temper. She never yelled. And what was happening is when we'd go to Grandma Betty's house, it didn't, it didn't matter where we were. We could have been awful children. In fact, we probably were. Uh, we, I fought with my brother all the time. We probably uh, came into this atmosphere of grace, and we created some, some hostility, and we created some anger, and we created some fighting. But never once did she react with anger. And what she did over time was we realized as she created this atmosphere of grace in which we were uh, fed bacon and taken to church and uh, and celebrated in some ways, right, that we became so much more vulnerable and honest and trusting when we went to her house. We know it was going to be a peaceful, tranquil, incredible time in her presence because she was consistent in her ability to control her anger and build this atmosphere for us. So once again, we do not allow our anger to overshadow our love for people. And really the main reason why we even are talking about this or thinking about this is that we as believers are called to resemble the character of our God. And like Jake mentioned earlier, one of the main uh, definitions or, or, or descriptions that God gives of himself, he uses these four consistent words throughout the Old Testament. He says it of himself that he is slow to anger. In fact, in Exodus 34, 6, it says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And the nation of Israel took that and they would assign those attributes, character, and qualities to God to describe him to the nations around them and to their children and their children's children. In fact, in Psalm 103, we read this earlier, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah even says it, that for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so what we see is that as God is described as being merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, so also we are called to resemble those same attributes in our lives. And the reason why we control our anger, the reason we are motivated to take control of these impulsive emotions and thoughts is that we reflect God to the society around us. And if we want to accurately reflect that, not only are we gracious and merciful, but also we are slow to anger with all people as we reveal to them a good and loving and merciful God. In fact, God's slowness to anger is one of the reasons why we even have come to know him, right? 
why he didn't immediately judge our sinfulness. As we rebelled against him throughout our lives with the sinfulness that we engaged with that was contrary to his will and his makeup of this world, that he doesn't immediately strike us down or judge us, but he was slow to anger. And over the course of several hundred years, he provided a way in which he declared beforehand that he would send his son, right, send a Messiah to save this world from their sin and bring people back into relationship with God, right, that he would provide this Messiah. And so he did. And in his slowness to anger, he actually sent his own son who died on a cross for our sin so that we could come to know him through faith and enjoy his love, enjoy a relationship with him. We we experience the eternal graciousness of his character. We experience his love that creates for us an environment in which we can grow and be nourished and develop and be conformed to his image in which we have eternal life so that when we die and pass away from this world in heaven it says in ephesians that he is going to seat us he seated us in the heavenly places in which he's going to lavish his grace on us for all of eternity and that's a wonderful thing and that god's slowness to anger he provided a way for us to know him which means that as we walk in faith and as we come to resemble and reflect his character one of the main things that we are responsible for doing is controlling his anger in order to love those around us. Now, I bet you're thinking, you know, uh, I've read the gospel, right? I've read John, uh, and I definitely remember Jesus getting pretty angry in, in that in that story, right, where he goes into the temple, he starts flipping tables over, like he's fashioning a whip in the corner and he's driving people out, right? What about that? Wasn't Jesus angry? Like, wasn't, didn't he get mad? What about that situation? And so what, what's so interesting about that is, yeah, there are going to be instances in which you are angry because of the injustice, because of abuse, because of violence, because of war, because of evil triumphing over good in certain situations, right? That our response to that is going to be anger. It's going to be anger. And in some ways it is justified, but we get wisdom from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 in which Paul writes to the church there and says, hey, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity, right? There's going to be times where you are mad. That's guaranteed. But it's what you do with that anger that matters. And he says in the same sentence, hey, be angry and do not sin. Because what is the natural end of that road, the angry road? It's probably going to be that you react in a way in which we sin against other people. Right? So he, he puts a condition on that. Hey, in your anger, make sure you do not sin. In fact, give this a time limit. Do not even let the sun go down. You got maybe 12 hours at most to get over this and let this pass through you. Because if you don't, you're creating an opportunity that the devil can use to influence you. And don't do that. What he's saying is, yeah, you're going to be mad, but in your vulnerable place when you experience his anger, do not allow this to control you. Do not allow the devil to use this to control you. Because he absolutely will. In fact, a few verses later, Paul even continues on this kind of same thing. He says this, you must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, 
discord and, and evil, slanderous talk. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ also forgave you. And so for some of us, we're really quick to use that other Ephesians 4 verse to justify our anger, right? I, I've seen it done before. I've probably done it myself. We're like, yeah, Paul says be angry, right? Just don't let the sun go down on us. You got some time. You can be angry. You can do whatever you want. But here, he actually directs us into a more appropriate course of action. He's saying, you know, anger can destroy the community of faith that you surround yourself with. It can destroy your family. It can destroy your friend group. So how about when you experience anger and bitterness and wrath and quarreling, you put that away. You just, you just put that away. You don't let it affect relationships because it is so destructive. And instead, adopt this attitude where you're compassionate and forgiving just as God and Christ has forgiven you. So once again, we see that we are called to resemble God. And so we put away every bitterness, every wrath, every kind of anger that we experience. Because if we let those continue, they're going to fester and they're going to infect others. But instead, we focus on kindness and love and compassion and forgiveness. Because that's what God did for us. And so as you, as you hear this morning, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, I get what you're saying, but how? How do we actually do this, right? I, I, I feel like I've struggled with this for a long time, or, or maybe like I'm starting to just realize for the first time, maybe I've got some bitterness I've got to work on. How do we actually work on controlling the anger within us? So I'm going to give you three, three and a half kind of ways to, to engage with this. And the first one is, is very simple. It always just starts with you, uh, with you asking. Two different groups. One, you ask God. You pray. And you say, God, where am I, where do I have blind spots when it comes to anger? Where do I have an ignorance in, in, a, in, a, in an incorrect way of justifying the, the loss of control of my emotions? And so spend time this week praying and just being receptive to what God brings before you. Because my guess is a lot of us, we don't, we don't realize what we're doing, right? We don't, we don't understand the full consequence of our anger both when we express it and when we keep it within us. And number two, ask those around you. Ask those that are closest to you. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe it's a good friend. It doesn't matter. Just ask someone you can be vulnerable with that will be honest with you and ask them, hey, where have you seen anger in my life? Where have you seen it come out? What does that look like? How can I prevent that in the past? Would you hold me accountable to controlling these emotions? Right, would, you, would you intercept these, these emotions that I am expressing and help me to control them so that I can develop better communication and love and show compassion to others? Uh, number two, that we would know the places and times in which we're, gonna, uh, we're most likely to be angry. So a lot of us, that's at work, right? We are just naturally going to be disposed to being mad at work. Others of us, it's a certain time of day, right? Late at night, when you're hungry, when you're tired, your emotional control is going to drop down because you're already bothered by those things. And so we have a tendency at night when we're tired and we're hungry, all those things, we tend to snap. So sometimes it's just knowing where is the place, where is the location. Avoid those if you can, and if you can't, make sure you go into those places and times guarded. Where you're thinking strategically, how am I going to react to this? How am I going to develop that grace, that atmosphere of grace within this house or within this workplace, within this family, within this friend group, wherever it is, be on guard and control those emotions. Don't let it overwhelm you or catch you by surprise. And then finally, that we would cultivate humility. What I've realized over the course of my 
study into anger is one of the main causes behind why we get angry is that we are dealing with pride in our own life, in our own heart, right? The way this works is this. When I am prideful and I am always seeking to protect my self-image from the insults or, or, or comments from those around me or on, maybe even on the internet, when I am worried about my self-image, then I'm going to react with violence and anger towards anything that threatens that self-image. Right? My pride is the main driver behind my anger. But if we are humble, if we cultivate the same humility that Jesus showcased for us, then we are not worried about protecting that self-image. We, we could care less. Why? Because we are focused on loving God. We're focused on loving other people. Who cares? I don't care what you have to say about me, right? I, my identity is placed in Christ, right? I am, I am someone because God made me someone. I am, I'm someone because God loves me and shows grace to me. And so I don't, I, I'm very much unbothered by these threats to my image. And I am able to instead put those away and focus on loving people in the moment. And therefore, we don't see others' actions or words as threats, but we either see them as someone that needs our love and help in the moment, or, or we're able to just pull away from that situation and be like, maybe that's just not a good place for me to be. But the main point, once again, when we control our anger, it allows us to love other people just as God has loved us. So the band's going to come up uh, and lead us in, in another song. But as we uh, transition into our time of worship, once again, we actually have the opportunity this morning to celebrate communion. So uh, if you have a communion cup, there should be one in the seat in front of you or maybe below you sitting on the front row. Go ahead and pull that out. And what we're going to do this morning as we, as we reflect on what God has done for us is once again, as I said before, that we have a God who is gracious and loving and slow to anger. And in his grace and in his love, he has provided a way for us to come to know him through his son. And that as Jesus goes to the cross for the sins of the world, his body is broken for us. And his blood is spilled for us. That So when we believe in him and his sacrifice, the sin that has been an obstacle between us and God for our whole life is done away with. Right? He takes that away in his sacrifice on the cross and enables us to know God, to enter into relationship with God when we place our faith in Jesus. And the gospel is very careful to point out, hey, this is nothing that you have done, right? There's no work that can bring you close to God, can make you right with God. It is simply the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that through him you have forgiveness. You have a relationship with God. And in this, we are reminded in Scripture, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And he finishes by giving us the significance of this. So he says, every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what I want to do the next few seconds, maybe a minute, uh, is, is to pray and ask God in your own life. Honestly, just to, to remember the sacrifice of his son on the cross. But then as you're doing that, as you're reflecting on what Jesus went through for you, as he suffered and died for you, in order for you to experience all the good things God has in store for you. As you reflect on that, what I want you to do is also to spend time reflecting on, hey, you know, there are still things in my heart that are messed up. There are, are habits. There are things in my personality in which I, I've, I've just I've kind of been messed up on for, for my whole life, for a very long time. One of those is maybe a family member, right? Maybe it's other things. But use this time right now, now to, to talk to the Lord, to confess, God, there are still things I need to work on. There are still blind spots. But I'm so thankful that your grace covers those areas. And I'm so thankful that even your, your love even pours out and covers over my insecurities, my imperfections, my sins. So use this time to pray to God. Ask God, my head's got some problems. 